Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation and check out recent shows where we learned about scientific efforts to revive the woolly mammoth, the latest in military drone technology, and the mysterious Shroud of Turin. And you can listen to those programs and many more amazing Coast shows by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Do you, when you do your work, have you uh, ever d- d- jumped into the Bible to compare it to those stories with what science is telling us today, like the Great Flood? Yes, all the time, all the time. See, a lot of people discount the Bible as complete foolery, but you can't do that because even though there's a lot of information in the Bible that has been altered and changed, there's a lot of good content in there, too, that has been copied from even older ancient texts, which you can then kind of put together the pieces of the puzzle and find out what the ancient history was, you know, was all about and what was really uh, kind of what the theme was back then. Uh, and uh, going into the theme of the, the flood story, the Bible is fairly new for all intents and purposes. It was written between 100 to uh, 800 A.D., so it's really just copied material and copied information. The people that are being talked about in the Bible were were long gone and and deceased by the time the Bible uh, was written. However, the information that they copied, for example, the flood story, no matter what civilization you go to around the entire planet, you will get a flood story. And, of course, it's in the Bible, but then when you go from the Bible, most people think that's the oldest book that exists. But when you start going into Sumerian tablets, you discover that there was a great flood when you go into the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation uh, that was discovered. When you go into the Atraasis Epic, again from Sumeria, and when you go to the Sumerian Kings List, which is in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England, again, you discover that kingship was handed down from these advanced beings to human or half-human, half-advanced, half-Anunnaki, half-human beings after a flood. So the deeper, the more you look, you just discover. And then now also geologists have found geological evidence of this flood, not only in ice cores, but also in digs um, and mines all over the planet. They can see the layer. The layer exists, not only for one flood, but maybe even potentially two floods that potentially covered the Earth or most of the Earth. So that's pretty we- amazing. Now, I've, go ahead. And, well, we don't know how the floods were caused. It could have been a tsunami from an asteroid, right? Could have been a tsunami from an asteroid. It could have been a pole shift of the crust of the planet. <coughs> so the crust of the planet could slip. The, the, the tectonic plates can actually slip from time to time, uh, which potentially is what happened to Antarctica, how Antarctica moved into the position that it is right now. And that would definitely cause, cause a global flood, because when you look at the evidence of the, um, of the animals that are being dug out of the ice, and that the ice is melting in Antarctica, they typically have undigested, food in their bellies, which means that they were flash frozen, which again also means that that particular continent or that region moved into that position in an extremely fast amount of time, and then they froze there. So it was in a more uh, tolerable climate at once before it moved to that position. So that to me tells me uh, that there was a pole shift of the crust of the planet at some point that maybe shifted us maybe 20 to 30 degrees and moved it into that location. That would have caused a great flood easily. Billy Carson with us. We're talking about anomalies that occurred on planet Earth many, many years ago. You've also looked at evidence for the Hall of Records. Edgar Cayce claims that they were in three spots around this planet. Uh, One would be around the Bimini area, 
Another one uh, would be by the base of the Sphinx, and then one would be in Central America somewhere. What do you think? I think he was pretty close, man. I mean, when I look into the Emerald Tablets, which is the reason why I did this book, The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, because I really want to break down the knowledge and wisdom because it ties into so many things like Edgar Cayce, the Bible, the Sumerian Tablets. This, the, 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 the Emerald Tablets predates all of this. They, they go back over 36,000 years. And one thing Thoth, the Atlantean priest king, talks about in the Emerald Tablets is the fact that there's a hall of records with, that he hid uh, all, the, all the information that would help us, help guide us into like the next golden age and help man ascend to a higher level of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And according to him, he hid these records, um, not only in uh, Giza, but some of the people that he worked with took these records around the planet. So uh, what Edgar Casey is saying, maybe he read the Emerald Tablets, or maybe he just had some phenomenal insight. But recently, they just did a nuanced scan of the Great Pyramid. And so in one of the chambers, Thoth claims to have left some important records and documents. Well, they just did a recent nuanced scan and discovered uh, a hidden chamber directly above the Grand Gallery. Uh, in the um, in the Great Pyramid. So all of a sudden, here's one location. Then he talks about hiding records in a, in his regeneration chamber in the halls of Amenti, which are directly beneath the Great Pyramid, but very, very deep in the earth. Now, again, recently, they discover hundreds of chambers and rooms about a mile down beneath the Great Pyramid. So again, ancient uh-huh. content backing up modern the science, you know, modern discoveries. Uh, and then again, it talks about uh, records being taken from Egypt all the way over to Mesoamerica, like Edgar Casey says. That's where they discovered the Emerald Tablets over there, uh, near the Pyramid of the Sun in a tunnel. And, and so, Billy, explain to us, explain to everybody what the Emerald Tablets are. The Emerald Tablets are basically um, a writing that was done by Thoth the Atlantean himself, T H O T H. Uh, he didn't use a scribe back then. A lot of a lot of kings and rulers used scribes, but he claims to have written these himself. And these uh, documents that he wrote, he basically etched them into these emerald uh, type of tablets and and looped them together with hoops and and um and little chains. Uh, and supposedly the tablets themselves are the atomic structure is supposedly fixed where they can't be corroded or changed over time. Uh, but Either way, he wrote these tablets, and basically they go into a scenario of talking about the Great Flood, building the the Pyramid of Giza. It talks about um, encountering human beings on this planet. The very first verse inside the Emerald Tablet, Thoth is told uh, to, very first chapter, I'm sorry, or very first tablet, he's told to, by his dad, to go to the land of Chem. Now, the land of Chem is ancient Egypt. Before it was called Egypt, it was called Chem. That's where we get chemistry and alchemy from. Uh-huh. So after the water resides, go to the land of Kem and raise the people there, the barbarians, back to a high level of civilization. So right away they're talking about the water, the waters receding, people coming out of caves, and talks about going to find these barbarians. And when he lands his ship, and they have to say it lands because he says that he's flying over the land and he looks down and sees an ancient temple and the barbarians, and he descends from the sky down to the ground with his crew. So right there, that's evidence of a UFO, something that's flying, something, something that flies. And then when he opens the door to this ship, the barbarians come to attack him, and he raises his staff and sends out a ray of vibration, stopping them still a stone in the mountain. So he has some type of an ancient stun gun or high-tech stun gun in ancient times, I should say, that stops these people and halts them 
until he can calm them down and explain what he's there for. But she then begins to show them his advanced technology, some of his trinkets and so forth. And the people begin to grovel at his feet, call him a god. He says, no, I'm not a god. You know, sit down. Let's talk about peace. Let's talk about building this area. I mean, it's just an amazing story. So then it goes into talking about raising man's consciousness, cycles of uh, cyclical cycles of where mankind arises and falls mentally and consciously and also technologically. And he also talks about traveling to other planets and watching men rise and fall as they try to seek the light. So it's a real amazing, amazing book. When uh, when you looked at what's been going on this planet since the beginning of time, what was that one thing, Billy, that just struck out for you that was the strangest? Uh, the strangest thing for me, I would have to say, is the fact that um, there were people, according to these ancient tablets, and I'm talking about the Enuma Elish, uh, which you know, really ancient Sumerian tablets that mm-hmm. are in you know, museums that anybody could look up, that there were people on this planet that did not claim to be humans before we were here. You know, so it's about 450,000 years ago they're claiming that they were here mining this, mining this planet for resources. This doesn't come from Zachariah Sitchin or any other authors. This comes directly, what I'm saying, directly from the tablets. Uh, that they used in their own books. But these tablets predate the age. They were deciphered before the before Sitchin and some of these other people were even born. Right. That's all, all this goes back to the 1800s. But, but, tablets, but I guess, but I, I would guess so that you would uh, agree that Sitchin, uh, his work, even though it may have come later, was probably spot on? I Listen, I've done the research myself. Now, I've read the tablets myself, thanks to the UCLA Cuneiform Digital Library. And I've come to the same conclusion as Sitchin. Now, there's a couple of variances here and there, you know, between myself and some of the other authors. But the overall underwriting theme seems to be the same. People came here from another planet, maybe even another solar system, and mined this planet for resources. They got into a fight within themselves. At some point, they decided to create a worker slave. They didn't want to go with the robotic AI because they didn't want to uh, they w- didn't want to get taken over, and which is where we need to stop with what we're doing right now. Uh, but then they so they created a biological robot, a biological slave, which would be the hum- humanoid. They didn't create. Create is the wrong, wrong word to use. They actually genetically modified an mm-hmm. existing hominid already on this planet to bring it to a certain level of consciousness, but at the same time, disconnect it from nature. That's where your junk DNA comes in. This is where... The version of the human that we are now, the Homo sapien, is completely dis- disconnected from nature. We no longer use the, um, you know, the, the, the magnetite in our brains to navigate the planet. We're no longer in sync with the Schumann residents like we used to be. And we've, we've completely became like a virus on, t- on top of the surface of this planet, only because we've been disconnected. And that's what they call junk DNA. That was all disconnected stuff that they did. But they all, what they did do was they put a gene in for worship, uh, which has been scientifically proven. They, dis- they did a, cr- a chromosome uh, number two fusion, telomere to telomere fusion to shorten our lifespans, uh, and basically put us in a position to where we have to be humble to them and follow their commands. And do you think that uh, the, of that, that this cross that they did, that whatever creature was on the planet at the time, was it ape-like? What do you think it was? I think it was most likely, I don't think it was Neanderthal, I think it was pre-Neanderthal, um, but uh, I believe that it was probably a human being that was in a fallen state, 
one of my theories is after reading the Enuma Elish, I discovered that there was a planet called Tiamat, which was just uh, outside of the orbit of where Mars is now. Mars was actually a moon of this Tiamat water world, which is four to six times larger than Earth, but also had solid ground and potentially uh, intelligent life. Now, when this planet exploded in an ancient battle, which uh, you can you can perceive it as an ancient battle when you read it, or uh, a collision of planets, so depending on how you uh, want to take it in. But when it did that, it broke up into pieces and chunks. Now, a giant chunk of this Tiamat swung down into the position where we are now and became the Earth as it recoalesced. Uh, and so, you know, you have the you have a situation that this goes back billions of years, where we we could have already brought all the water, everything we needed here, uh, you know, material to start life, and then all of a sudden we ascend back to a certain high level of civilization on this planet. However, what happens? We fall again through the yuga cycle. Uh, something happens, whether it's a geological disaster, whether it's war, but we fall again. And I believe that the Anunnaki arrived here at a time where human beings were most likely in a fallen state, almost cavemen again. Not because we evolved to be cavemen, but because we de-evolved from a higher level in more ancient times, and they took advantage of that. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.